You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Reading from Romans 8, 12 to 17, and it's beautiful. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about by your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm Dave, the senior pastor here, and it is just great to be here with you. Congrats again to the Springboks. I'm looking forward to watching when I get home. Uh, well done. You know what? They are our second team as Australians, the Wallabies have done so badly. So I'm going to choose to be joyful this morning for the Springboks. That's fantastic. Uh, and Amy, thanks for talking about Harborside Social. How cool does that sound? Can old people like me go? Is it, yeah, okay, good, great. It's not just for the young, cool people. Awesome. Uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be great. If you're a Christian person, if you're a Christian, let me, let me ask you a question. What's the best thing about it? What for you is the best thing about being a Christian? You can't answer Harborside Church, okay? I know you want to, but you can't. There's, there's, I wonder how you'd answer that question. I think there's probably lots of, of different answers. I don't think there's a right one. Might be some wrong ones, but I don't think there's a clear right answer. And I wonder as well if it maybe changes with age, changes with maturity, with circumstances. Today, I think we're going to explore what could be the answer. What could be? You may not agree. I wonder if you might toward the end of the message, but we're going to explore maybe the most wonderful thing about being a Christian, the richest blessing when it comes to being a Christian. So we're going to explore that, so stay tuned. We are in Romans chapter 8. We are in a series, six weeks, looking at one chapter of the Bible. That's right. Can you do that? You can. We are on week three at the end of this. We'll be halfway through a series on Romans 8. Isn't there just so much to dive into? I encourage you to read the chapter of Scripture each week, each couple of days, whatever you can, in order to get the most out of this series. Because this series is great. It's what We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It's like a big, warm hug of Christian assurance. And I need that pretty much most days. Romans 8. We've got six verses in front of us this morning. Don read so well for us. Only six verses, but I tell you what, in these two verses, there's a lot. We're not even going to get to all of it, but there's a lot. And there are two topics that really hit us. Two topics that jump out at us. They're really important. And this is what I love about the Christian faith. It's so practical. These two things we're looking at are so practical. You know, the Christian faith It's not primarily philosophical ideas to be discussed at a fancy dinner party. You can do that, 
But I tell you what, Christianity, it's for you if you're dealing with the everyday. You're in the nitty-gritty. You're wondering, how do I apply this thing to life right now? Wow, Christianity has a lot for you. The Christian faith is primarily so practical. So we're going to look at two really practical things today. The first one is this, what's the deal with sin? What's the deal with sin? As Christian people, what do we do with it? How do we deal with sin in our lives? Right? What's the place of sin in the life of a Christian? We become Christians, our sins are forgiven. And then what? Because we know that we still struggle with sin. What do we do with it? We'll look at that this morning. Second one, okay, as forgiven people, as Christians, what's our place in relationship to God? How are we to think of him? How are we to approach him? What's our place in the family? And let me say, these two things, these two questions, these two topics are really related. I'll admit, I actually didn't see it really at first, but oh, they are interconnected. And I'm looking forward to exploring why the place of sin in the life of the Christian and our place in the family of God. They're the two things we're going to be looking at this morning. Let's look together at what God has for us in his powerful word this morning. We'll do the first question first. And I don't think it's one we deal with that often in church. So I think this is going to be good. Can we check out the first couple of verses together? Here we go. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now this passage, the one we've got in front of us this morning, it starts with a therefore. And as we are taught, we're supposed to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? You heard that before? Caleb last week spoke a cracker, a great message about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and the difference that makes. God, in the wonderful reality of God himself dwelling with each person. What an amazing reality, an enormous gift. And what that means is we're not alone. And each one of us, as we spoke about last week, is becoming who we are in the Spirit. And so, because of that, therefore, Paul is building on his argument. Because of that, that old life, that living in the flesh, what does that mean? It's referring to the, the sinful part of who we were, the sinful nature, right? Because, therefore, we have no obligation to live that way. We are free from it. We owe it nothing. I like this turn of phrase. That old life has no claim on us anymore. I love that. Has no claim on us anymore. Hey, what are you doing? You're meant to be here. You're meant to be living like this. You're... No, no, no. That's not who I am now. It's who I was. It's not who I am now. I don't belong there anymore. If we ever think our identity is in what we used to do, who we used to be, we know rock solid it's untrue. We now live according to the Spirit. And here's the question for us today we're going to deal with first. What does that look like? We are supposed to live according to the Spirit. Okay, what's it look like? Let's have a look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Okay, what does that mean? Well, here's a question to help us think about what that means. 
how can I, how can I know that I'm, that I'm a Christian? How can you know that you're a Christian? Romans 8 is all about this, being assured of God's love. And how can I know? An answer is, well, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, right? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's, that's what a Christian does. It's a true and classic answer. It's a good one. Here's another one. A person's commitment to get rid of sin in their lives. How can I know I'm a Christian? Well, what's your attitude to the sin in your life? And what's your commitment to getting rid of it? Hang on a sec, Dave. Hang on. Two weeks ago, you spoke about the fact that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This sounds a bit different. I liked that message. This one, I don't know. Paul says it. Chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And guess what? I'm not here to say but. There are no buts, no ifs, no caveats. There is no fine print, no hidden costs. That no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a reality. No condemnation, though, doesn't mean no obligation. Oh, hang on a second, Dave. That sounds like a bait and switch. I don't like the sound of that. Bear with me. There is no condemnation for our sin. What's the reality of that? That the consequences of our sin mean that we won't be cast aside. Right? We won't be written off by God because of our sin. That's the beautiful reality. But it doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. That no action is to be taken when it comes to sin in our lives. Actually, quite the opposite. We are not judged according to our performance when it comes to dealing with sin in our lives. This is huge. Our place in God's family is not at stake. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But it does mean when it comes to sin, what does it mean? We get to work. We get to work. And get to work means getting in the fight. If you're a Christian person, I can't sugarcoat it for you. The reality of sin in our lives means we're entering into a life of struggle, a life of wrestling. Welcome to the fight. We've got to put our gloves on. So how do we do that then? How do we deal with sin? How do we deal with sin in our lives? Well, what we're talking about here is what Christians have called for many, many years a topic of mortification. Have you heard of that term before? It's a nice big word. There you go. Mortification. Simply, that just means dealing with sin. Getting rid of sin in our lives. That's what that big word means. Mortification. Sounds a bit big and sounds a bit scary. When I was growing up, there was a, a Christian death metal band called Mortification. And, and I think that is a good name for a Christian death metal band, don't you think? Mortification. They were pretty good too. Getting rid of sin in our lives. Okay, let's talk about what mortification is not. Mortification is not masochism. It's not self-inflicted pain. Maybe you think about that, that weird monk in the movie The Da Vinci Code. Have you seen that? Where he's obsessed with physically beating the sin out of his life. Mortification has absolutely nothing to do with that. That action has no basis whatsoever in biblical Christianity. 
none whatsoever. And that's not what we're talking about. We're also not talking about asceticism. Caleb talked about this a bit last week, right? Rejecting the body and its natural appetites. That's not what we're talking about either. You're denying so many things in order to to pursue God. No, 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 we're not talking about that. That's not mortification. Okay, so what is it then? Simply it's this. A clear-sighted recognition of evil as evil and putting it to death as the only logical response. Having a clear and sober view of sin in our lives and committing to cut it out. It's a hard look in the mirror, allowing God to do his work by his spirit in partnership with him. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Look at it. Deal with it. It's facing it head on in the power of the Holy Spirit. Many years ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I can't remember how long now, me and my stupid friends were in a classic tit-for-tat season of practical jokes. Are you a practical joker? Do you like them? Some shakes, some nuts? I like them. I really do. And anytime I'm tempted to kind of restart that excitement, that urge, I'm reminded of where it can go. Because usually they just, you just one-up each other. Do you know about these impractical jokes? And it just becomes more and more crazy and the consequences can become really stupid. Like this time, we were having this tit-for-tat practical joke upon practical joke. One of my friends thought this would be a great idea. He secretly taped a piece of meat under the driver's seat of his friend's car, of a friend in our group. It wasn't his friend, it was the family friend's car. It was their second car, the runaround car, but still, secretly taped it there and left it there, didn't tell anybody. Now, it was the Australian summer. And uh, let me tell you, that car got stinkier and stinkier, oh my goodness, to a point where you could not ride in this car. It was so bad. They cleaned it. They cleaned it many times. They, they didn't know, of course, where the meat was. They didn't know the source of the problem. And so they didn't remove it. It, it, it was so bad, they were, people didn't drive it. It just sat in the driveway for a long time. Now, the, my friend of mine that did this, I mean, he was racked with guilt. He's like, what do I do? I don't want to admit it was me. And so this is the day before mobile phones. And so he, he called the house anonymously and gave them a, a tip. This is how it happened. It's a look under the driver's seat. Pretty horrible, hey? Now, I wonder, whoever got that call, I wonder if they hesitated before they looked under the seat. Because, man, the thing producing that smell had to be pretty horrible. Been there for days. A pretty gross thing to confront, don't you reckon? You'd be getting all the masks and the gloves and the, yeah, forget rid of that. Why are we talking about this? It's just a cool story. When it comes to the sin in our lives, I tell you what, there are other ways of dealing with it. There are. Or maybe not dealing with it. Let's just say maybe managing it. Or um, living with sin. We don't have to deal with it. What else can we do? Well, we can pretend, can't we? I think we're all pretty good at this. Varying levels. We can pretend it doesn't exist, right? 
insist, you know what, we don't have anything to work on, nothing significant anyway. We can drive that car and say, what smell? All the passengers in the car have their head out the window, but we can say, I don't smell anything. I don't really have anything to work on. Maybe not very significant anyway. I'm a good moral person. I bet you are. Tim Keller was famous for saying lots of good things, and one of them is this. He used to say this often when talking about the Christian faith, the truth of the gospel. He'd say, we are far worse than we ever imagined and far more loved than we could ever dream. He'd say they're two sides of the same coin, inseparable. Far worse than we ever imagined and far more loved than we could ever dream. Oh, it's so true. Confronting one of those sides is tough though, right? You know, people may even point things out to us. What do you mean you can't smell anything? The Holy Spirit might even be convicting us. But we insist, you know, it's not really about me. It's about them. It's their problem. What's this called? I guess this is called denial, isn't it? What else? We can also just refuse to deal with it. Or we can smell it, but we just, we just want to ignore it. Yeah, okay, no, it's there, but, you know, I won't go there. Despite the damage, despite the death that sin brings, we won't deal with it. And I guess this is called repression. We might do either of these things for different reasons. We're complex people, aren't we? And we might do them for a ve- ve- various reasons. Pride, a desperate fear of being rejected. If people really knew, if I embrace it, I don't know if I have the strength to embrace it, to face that. We're vulnerable. We fear what might happen if we admitted the truth. And I think a lot of us, we, even though we know God knows all, just how would God really react if I just if I laid my soul bare to him? When it comes to our sin, the language Paul uses here is, well, it's pretty intense, isn't it? Did you notice? It's not subtle. What does he say? Massage it. No, no, put it to death. It's not subtle. But here's the thing, the thing which is so wonderful and I think sometimes really confusing about the Christian life, about Jesus and about following him. It's this. Death leads to life. It's the opposite of what we might think. Death leads to life. It's a theme running right through the Bible. John Stott in his commentary on Romans, which is fantastic, I'm finding very helpful as as we get through this, he says this, in trying to explain this concept, he says that is, there is a kind of life which leads to death. And there is a kind of death which leads to life. It's another way, really, of, of translating verse 13. And this is just the way of Jesus, isn't it? You're familiar with him? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What's the promise of Scripture? If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will have a crappy, crappy life. Some of us might think that. Losing ourselves, our old self can feel like death. It can. But it is the pathway to what Jesus calls the abundant life. The life that is truly life. All right, Dave, this, okay, I'm beginning to understand mortification, but it sounds hard. 
This all sounds pretty hard. Why should we do it? I mean, the simple answer is because this is who we are now. This is what we do. And this is the hope. Listen up. This is the hope. The sin that used to give pleasure now leaves a bad taste. That's the hope. That through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, our desires are changed. And by partnering with him, we can change and make progress. Now that I'm a changed person, I can change. But we must remember, please remember this. This is not a promise of perfectionism. Hear that? Nor do we have to pretend that Christian life is just one awesome victory after the next. Because if, if you've been living life as a Christian, you'll realize that isn't true. But hey, we can also celebrate the victories. God is at work in us, realizing none of us are who we are before Christ. I'm not who I was. It's not an excuse, it's a lesson in reality. The Spirit-led life is one of repentance, but not pessimism. Hear that? The Spirit-led life is one of pessimism. Oh dear, don't get that wrong. The Spirit-led life is one of repentance, but not pessimism. All right. So what's the place of sin in our lives? It's not welcome. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can put it to death. That's what we do. Welcome to the fight, gloves on. Our next point makes the world of difference when it comes to this in the fight. You ready? It's our place in the family of God. Let's do this together. Let's have a look at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I asked before, we'll stop there. I asked before, what's the best thing about being a Christian? I wonder what you thought. I wonder what came to mind. There is so much we are forgiven. We're redeemed, chosen, a hope for the future. We have a place in eternity, the gift of the Holy Spirit. I could go on. But maybe this is the greatest privilege of the Christian, and it's what? Being a child of God. Being a child of God. The theologian J.I. Packer would say adoption with God as our Father is the highest blessing the Christian person enjoys. And man, I think I agree. To be a forgiven sinner is a wonderful thing. It is. To stand in the courtroom and be declared by God the judge as innocent. Why? Because of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is amazing. You mean, I'm free? No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, right? Yep, amen, amen. And yet there's a higher blessing. We now no longer know God primarily as judge. Do you realize that? But we know him as father. Has that sunk in for you? Do you still think of God as judge? As a Christian person, do you think of that? He's waiting to discipline me. He disciplines us, but as his children, this is the difference in living the Christian life. We now relate to God, not, not maybe as an acquitted defendant to a judge. Oh, thank you. 
as a child to their loving father. And you know what? Know this. That can never be taken away from you. Ever. Ever. Nobody, no one, nothing. Why? Because it's not, you are not the reason that you are there. Right? You are not responsible for your adoption. It's the action of God and not ourselves. And you know what? No one can come against him, against his word, against his promises. Welcome to the family. You're here by sheer grace and your place is permanent. This changes everything. And you know what? This point really struck me in an unusual place at an unusual time. Do you know when it was? When I was watching the new David Beckham documentary on Netflix. Yep. That's when, that's how godly I am. That's what I'm thinking about as I'm watching David Beckham's story. Have you seen it? Have you watched it? A few of us? Yeah, it's pretty good, isn't it? I really enjoyed it <laughs> much more than I thought, actually. It's interesting. Those of you who don't know who David Beckham is, where have you been living? He is, of course, one of the greatest football soccer players of all time. When he was young, he was a freak talent. He never, I don't think he ever lost a game when he was young. He was amazing. A freak. Um, his father was a soccer nut and pushed him, really pushed him into soccer. He liked it, and it's obviously very common for athletes, isn't it? He was identified as a future talent really young, and um, he spoke about the special relationship the manager of Manchester United, Alex Ferguson, had with him. Alex Ferguson, a very well-known, very successful coach, manager of one of the greatest brands of all time, Manchester United, picked Beckham out when he was really young. I think 15 or even maybe younger, right? And had him move from his family home into what they all called, all the players called the Manchester United family. And there's these lovely photos of when Beckham was really young with Alex Ferguson with his arm around a very young Beckham. And Beckham said often throughout the documentary, he was so much like a father to me. And it's really special being adopted into this Manchester United family. And I tell you what, David was a star. Beckham was a star. He delivered on the field, a freak talent. And so the relationship was good. Everyone was winning. Lovely picture until it wasn't. Beckham's profile just became huge. He started dating a Spice Girl. And uh, Alex did not like it. The manager did not like it. He thought he was getting distracted, and that distraction led him to, to being just less focused on the field. It was affecting his performance on the field. And so one day, Beckham gets a call from the Man United office. Not Alex, someone else, saying, you've been traded. Just like that. He'd been at the club, I don't know, 10 years? I'm not sure how long. Since he was 15, he'd been traded like that. A friend of Beckham's, a childhood friend, was interviewed as part of the, the documentary. And he said that Beckham was absolutely gutted, as you can imagine, by this. He, he said he was a broken man. And he couldn't even get in touch with Alex. Alex wouldn't take his calls. Alex Ferguson himself was interviewed for the show and was asked about this. And I was so struck. He said, well, you know, you only have a relationship with the players off the field to help what happens on the field. But once it's over, you know, that the relationship's done. 
It's cold. How sad. The reality was his relationship with David was based completely on performance. And it just, it rang true so much to me watching that, that you and I, our experience with God is nothing like that. You, friend, brother, sister, have been adopted into the family of God, brought in, and can call God Father. And nothing changes that. Our relationship is not based on performance. I know this is hard for us to grasp because so many things and so many relationships in our lives are based on that. But friends, this is grace. It changes everything. And here's how it relates to our battle with sin, okay? It changes how we deal with sin in our lives. How? Here's how. Remember I said our, our two questions are related. Do you remember? Still with me? This is how. Because the call to get rid of sin, to put sin to death, happens from inside the family. Okay, let me say that again. The call to put sin to death happens from inside the family. It makes a difference, huge difference. I'd say the difference. We don't battle with our sin in, in fear of punishment, right? in fear of losing our place within the family. That's never going to happen. We battle with sin from our position as a beloved child of God, our Father. You see? We're not trying to hide our mistakes, scared that we're going to be judged on a performance like maybe in the workplace with a boss that's trying to look for ways to critique us or manage us out. God's a loving Father watching His children take maybe baby steps and fall over. And what's He doing? You're out. What child what what father what mother would see a baby fall over in their their progress in in walking and say well you're no child of mine i mean this is what we're we're gonna think about it like this god by his spirit coaches us and encourages us and says keep going i am with you you see the fear is gone verse 15 the spirit you received does not you hear this the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. You're not a slave. So that you live in fear, again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. We are children of God. Here the language is sonship. Okay, let me explain that for a moment. Why? Why not daughters and sons? In ancient culture, the son inherited everything from the father. That's how it was back then. But this, of course, is to mean sons and daughters, right? Making the point here that all God's children get the benefits that sons got in the ancient world. Hear that? Verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, helping make this truth a lived reality every day. Right? It's a big part of the Spirit's job to bear witness that we're God's children. The Spirit functions a little bit like adoption papers. Hey, this is objectively true. I know you don't feel like it, but look, this is who you are now. Reminding us we can call the God of the universe Abba Father. 
we recognize that phrase, Abba, from Jesus himself who called God that and asked his disciples to do the same. Abba was a turn of endearment for a father, dad, daddy, da, papa, right? This is the right of every Christian to call God dad. And in our prayers, this is the context, in our prayers, the Spirit prompts us to call God Father. And in the context of prayer, this is the Spirit at work. And I think that's interesting. What a gift of assurance from the Spirit. It's interesting this is in the context of prayer here. And I, I wonder, could this be why when we have periods of time away from praying, we sense a loss of closeness with God. You know, we can lack assurance, I think, when we lack prayer. Because we're adopted, we can approach God as Father in prayer. Only children of God get to do that, the unique gift of the Christian. But when we refuse to do that, to express it, I guess it's no wonder we feel the disconnect. Right? Our union with God's not destroyed by our lack of prayer. Remember, nothing, no one can take away our place in the family. But our experience of the joy that it can bring certainly suffers when we fail to speak to our Heavenly Father in prayer. I think that's true. I was, uh, was on a retreat some years ago, a conference, and a number of sessions. And in between sessions, there was a big gap, and we were invited to to, to go out into the wilderness and spend time with God. I was pretty low spiritually at this time, and I, I wasn't really looking forward to it. I was like, oh, man, okay, time by myself with my own thoughts, not always very appealing to me. So I went away, and I had my Bible and my journal. I was praying, trying to pray, just asking God, just meet me where I really need it. Meet me at the deepest part of who I am. Meet me where I'm most needy. I was praying that. I had my Bible and my journals trying to read and trying, trying to listen and writing. And, and the wind picked up and flicked my, flipped my journal and got went out of my hands. And I picked it up and I looked at it. And, and on the page, written really, really big in a random part in the journal was, was these words, You are my son. And I don't remember writing it. It was my handwriting. So I must have written it at some point in the conference earlier or the days before. I can't remember. But it struck me to my absolute core. You are my son. Now, beware. I'm not recommending you necessarily do the same. Dave told me to go out in the wilderness to fling my Bible and journal in the air. And wherever it opens, that's what I... No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. At that specific time, God, through his spirit, right? this is the, the spirit bearing witness to what is already true, what is profoundly true to every single one of us. I'm his son. You are his son. You are his daughter. This is the witness of the Holy Spirit bearing witness of what is already true. And from this place, it changes everything. Gives perspective on everything. My battle with sin, your battle with sin, it's not as a naughty kid trying to 
do right by a, a strict headmaster. It says a beloved child. And so the failures and the victories take place within the family. Are you getting it? Not outside. Not anymore. What a promise. What a promise. That God will bear witness to the truth that we are his. Verse 17 says, so as children of God, everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to us. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. I think we've run out of time here, though. That's even almost another sermon. I might stop us there and just prepare us for what's going to take place next, what Cara mentioned earlier, which is prayer ministry. I love this part of our church. I love this part of our rhythm. We've talked about some pretty powerful truths this morning, haven't we? I want to invite you to come and receive prayer. A regular part of our rhythm here, we have people from the church, just regular people, part of our prayer team. They just ask you two questions. What's your name, if they don't know already? And what can I pray for? And I think every one of us could receive this gift of prayer. It's not for the desperately needy. and It's not for the super spiritual. It's for every single person. I will be first in line. Now, maybe, maybe you could ask for someone to pray that God, by his spirit that dwells within you, might make the truth of what already is made more known to you. Maybe you could ask that. I just want to pray that I would know, I'd have the assurance that I'm his daughter, that I'm his son. That's something great to, to ask for. Or maybe you've just been battling with sin. Welcome to the club. Maybe you've really been wrestling. You're in the thick of it, though. And you just need assurance that God doesn't look at you as some, as some pathetic failure, but as a beloved child who can and is making progress with sin in their lives. You might want prayer for that today or anything else, we invite you to come and receive this gift of prayer. I'm going to invite the prayer ministry team up. And I'm just going to lead us in prayer now to open us up to what God may have for us today. So would you join me as we pray and enter into this time of prayer ministry together? Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many gifts that you give us that we don't deserve. We acknowledge that. We thank you that we're forgiven, accepted, redeemed. Thank you for the gift of your spirit. We primarily want to think today about being adopted into your family as a child, as a son or daughter. For some of us, that might be just so clear and prominent in our hearts and minds. For others, it might just seem vaguely true. We ask, Father, that by your Spirit, you make it real to us. This is, yeah, this is assurance. And for those of us battling with sin, help us to know that we are not alone. You would never leave us alone to battle it. You've given us your Spirit. You've given us each other. And you love us no matter what. 
And so from that place, we can do business with our sin. You want to put it to death, and we need your strength. And so God, help us to pray for each other. Have a beautiful day. In Jesus' name.